His name is Alexis Borsier. Welcome to the adventure! Since he was a child, he's been raised to consider pop culture as a fine art to be studied, dissected, analyzed, and debated. My name is Ben Spiro. In college, I had a mattress I kept on the floor and Star Wars bedsheets. Together, we're proud to present... Welcome to Hyper Strong Miracle Treasure, the show where two friends take a deep dive into the pop culture grab bag and hurl random implements of entertainment one another with reckless abandon. Borsier, how you holding up, buddy? Oh my, oh my. I'm doing pretty good, Ben. You know, every day is an adventure. Right. Right. See, that's the attitude I want. That's what I want to hear. I wish I could say the same, but, you know, you know. Ah, see, you're still looking at the world and taking in information and then processing it. I suggest something else entirely. Ah, okay. So, so blinding and deafening myself? Is 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 this a mental thing you're suggesting or something that can be done purely physically? Because, I mean, I have a fork. All right, Borsier, I have a question for you that's kind of connected to what we're going to be talking about the rest of today. I wondered what you think makes a movie a thriller. I would say it has got to be a crime drama. Mm. So there must be a crime. And it is for an adult audience. Yeah, I think so, too. There's one thing that that I despise more than anything else is when I'm looking through, like, a thriller section on Netflix or something like that, and then there are supernatural movies in there. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, it's not not a thriller just because it's tense. Or sometimes dark. Like, Mm -hmm. sometimes stuff that has that real Fincherian hue to it. People will throw in thriller that has – that that is not thriller at all. Where you're like, do you just mean that – that they shot for tungsten? Because that's not what that means. <laughs> right. And and I agree with you. I agree with you that that there's got to be some kind of seedy underworld that we establish and that we journey into, right? It's about a descent. That's what a thriller is about, is you descend into some kind of seedy underworld, this world of lies and, and deceit and stuff like that. Yeah, I'll take the descending. I haven't thought of that, but yeah, yeah. You gotta be enveloped in it for it to be a thriller. Otherwise, it's the Avengers. <laughs> well, that brings us then to today's battle. We're still talking about movies that take a severe turn halfway through. Last time, we discussed Fantforstick, the Fantastic Four film by Josh Trank. And this time, it's my choice, and this time I'm choosing the 1993 thriller Classic Malice, written by Aaron Sorkin and Scott Frank. What did you just make me watch, Benjamin? So I've been struggling to describe it. It is a small college town in Massachusetts, and there has been a brutal sexual assault. A young woman is rushed into the hospital where a dashing young surgeon saves her life in a spectacular fashion. 60. Still think it's a phenobar reaction? In. All right, ease up on that retraction pressure. 65 and going up. Well, what do you know about that? 68. I don't believe it. 72. How about some scissors? Medicine bombs. Beautiful. Haiti, she's out of the woods. Way to practice medicine. Irrigation, please. This man is Dr. Jed Hill. He is played by Alec Baldwin. 
And he is the most delightful form of smarmy that I can imagine. No, 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 no. He is he is the waspiest wasp who ever wasped. He is at the height of his Alec Baldwin powers. Right. And and I have a theory about Aaron Sorkin's dialogue. And it's just this. He loves, more than anything else, writing a character who is the smartest guy in the room. He loves it. Yes. More than anything. And Dr. Hill just gets to be that for him. And Alec Baldwin may be the perfect vessel for that kind of smartest guy in the room condescension. Right. Dr. Hill is, he's Josh Lyman. He's Tom Cruise's character in A Few Good Men. He's Aaron Sorkin. There's no question in my mind. The guy who just knows more than everybody else around him and... It's it's their job to figure that out. They've got to catch up to figure out just how smart he is. So Dr. Hill saves this young woman's life, and in doing so, he meets a young couple. Andy Safian, played by Bill Pullman, and his wife Tracy, played by Nicole Kidman. The guy got in when she was out of her class. She's going to be all right. It looks like it. Turns out that your hospital has a new surgeon, this whiz kid from Mass General. He did a great job. So I went back to introduce myself, to thank him, and are you ready for this? We went to high school together. No kidding. Speak of the devil. And the devil appears. By the way, the cast in this movie is insane. It is bonkers. I am utterly shocked that this is not a movie I knew existed. I mean, I'd heard of it, I guess. Like, this movie didn't happen. It is not part of the 90s thriller canon. Mm-hmm. And it's it's especially weird just because there is a cult of Aaron Sorkin out there, right, who just love everything he, that he does. I love everything Aaron Sorkin does, and I didn't know he made this movie. It's uh-huh. not that I didn't know it was good or worthwhile or whatever. Like, until I was watching it, I didn't know, oh, wait, this is a script by Aaron Sorkin? And I think it's because it's kind of trashy and stupid. People think of it as as his naked baby pictures, right? The things that we're kind of embarrassed about that we put aside that we don't delve into too much. Sure, yeah. I can I can see that, I guess. But no, I mean, you know, as, especially in the, you know, sort of the post-indie boom, blah, 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 whatever. We learn to embrace a lot of people's early eh, semi-groaners. And that I don't even know this exists is weird. I, I've seen his Farnsworth play twice. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Hill meets this young couple who are down on their luck financially, living in an old Victorian house that's falling apart, trying to get pregnant. And he moves in with them to just take the third floor of their house because they need the cash. Like you do. I don't know how to explain more beyond that other than going point by point in the plot. I went and looked up the trailer, mm-hmm. and... Oh, yeah, how is this, How is it advertised? That's an interesting question. It's maybe a murder. I think they're a little clearer that Alec Baldwin's maybe the antagonist. Maybe. Looks like you picked the wrong patient to screw up on, Doctor. I didn't pick her. Physicians don't get to choose. Malice from Harold Becker, the acclaimed director of Sea of Love. I'm going to make sure you don't do this to someone else. Nothing in life prepares you for how people will behave. 
or what they are capable of. He cuts off all their hair. What do you think he does with it? You know, but it's definitely, it's a movie about a young couple. And I'll tell you one thing about this movie. This is not a movie about a young couple. I mean, it kind of is, but it's also kind of proclaiming to be a movie about something else, right? The the core plot that we get initially is that there is a serial rapist on the prowl in this small New England college town. Andy Safian, Bill Pullman's character, is an associate dean at this college. He's got responsibility for the young women who, who go to school there. He is concerned for his wife. He is bringing this stranger into his home. And so you got to think that all of those things must link up together, except you would be wrong. Completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that is the other movie that is happening while this movie is happening. <laughs> This is a movie with a starter movie. And that starter movie, (laughs) just to get you warmed up. (laughs) Well, okay, look, you got to sit down. You got to have popcorn. You got to you got to settle in. You never really know. You know, it's bullshit now. They don't they don't give us uh, newsreels or anything anymore. You got to. So this way. Yeah. The first half hour, if you showed up early, you got to you got to you got a little short. And then there's uh, there's about an hour-long movie at the back end. Are you positing that this is, in fact, like the Bugs Bunny cartoon at the beginning of the movie? Is that what you're saying? The That's what I'm saying. While Tracy and Andy are having intimate times with Chinese food, having gentle married sex. That is, by the way, not what I think of as intimate times with Chinese food. Really curious about what your definition would be and also do not want to know. So... There is a creepy neighbor kid who sits in shadows across from their house and just kind of sits and plays the keyboard while they make love. Andy. What? He's there again. So? He's looking at us. Sounds like he's playing one of those electric keyboards. This is an important piece of information. Just, we gotta just file that away. Well, okay. I was still like, I don't know, we'll go with looking for clues because I didn't know what movie I was watching. And I forgot about the creepy kid playing the accordion or the keyboard. (laughs) It sounds a little like an accordion. I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with you there that it, like, like what other kind of synth they're using in the background music, it sounds a a little bit more like an accordion than it does a keyboard. Yeah, I didn't remember that until you just said keyboard right now. And yet it is the, one of the most important parts of the second movie. So we got to mention it, right? We got to put like a little check mark. Remember there's a creepy kid. Trying to describe Dr. Hill, Alec Baldwin's character, it's, I think the best way to go about it is just to throw out some Sorkin dialogue. I'm the new guy around here and I want to make friends, so I'll say this to you and we'll start fresh. If you don't like my jokes, don't laugh. And if you have a medical opinion, please speak up and speak up loud. But if you ever again tell me or my surgical staff that we're going to lose a patient, I'm going to take out your lungs with a fucking ice cream scoop. Do you understand me? I'm not going to like you, am I? Don't be ridiculous. Everybody likes me. 
He's definitely Jack Donaghy, damn it. And it's weird. I love 30 Rock. And I remembered the character Alec Baldwin was playing, Jack Donaghy, as best as I could tell, is just the worst qualities of Alec Baldwin while smiling. He's just playing Jack Donaghy here. Except he's playing this in 30 Rock. This is what he's parodying. And because I was unaware of it, uh, I've now seen it backwards and it was really hard to watch this movie sometimes. You're you're reverse engineering this character, right? You're like, huh, I, I know what this becomes. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, he's, he's taken the patter. He's taken the timing. He's taken everything about, he is playing this heightened as Jack Donaghy. And so I keep waiting for punchlines and they're not there <laughs> because it's just Aaron Sorkin saying some things. So all of a sudden I'm watching Jed Bartlett, but I'm waiting for him to say something funny every time, every time he opens his mouth. It's very strange. He does have some funny stuff, but again, it, it's like the ice cream scoop thing. It's it's like it's Aaron Sorkin funny. It's Aaron Sorkin feeling like he's being very clever. Wait, is his name Jed? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh Jed Bartlett. His name's Jed Hill. Oh my god, I forgot. <laughs> I've, there there are two names in this that are classic classic Sorkin names. I did not put the Jed together until just this second. The other one is Lillian Field, which I did remember as being like a senator in the West yeah, Wing. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a, yeah, some, yeah, it came up a lot. Because it turns out uh, that Tracy is having a weird medical issue, and she is going to a doctor two hours away in Boston named Dr. Lillian Field. And they've got a doctor in the house, so of course, Bill Pullman's picking his brain over drinks. She's been having these abdominal pains. How often? Well, maybe once every couple of days. How long do they last? Maybe half a minute, sometimes a little longer. Is she seeing somebody? Yeah, a doctor in Boston named Lillianfield. Uh, David Lillianfield, do you know him? I've heard of him. Lillianfield's a good man. Mm. Thing is, we really want to have kids. Tracy's nuts about him. So am I. I'll tell you what. <clears throat> I give it another couple of weeks, and if there's no change, have her come by and see me. Right. Hey, Stanley. Hey, Doc, it hurts when I do this. Then don't do that. I get some new jokes, Stanley. Meanwhile, back at the college, Bebe Newworth is also there. She is one of the few characters in this movie who is trying really hard at a Boston accent. So, what do we do now? We? We don't do anything, Andy. Only one of us is a police detective. Maybe not even that many. Oh, collegiate wit. Let me search my mind for a clever comeback. How about bite me? Touche. I have enough faith in B.B. Newworth that she went and got herself a dialogue coach and she picked this Boston accent. <laughs> boy. <laughs> No, it's a heavy choice, especially when nobody else around is making that choice. Like, she seems like she is the character from Boston in a movie that's taking place in Vancouver. And this movie takes place in Boston, am I wrong? That was a game that I was going to play with you. Here are the hints that I will give you, and I would like you to guess where it was filmed, specifically what college it was filmed at, because this was filmed at an actual college. It is in Massachusetts. 
A line of dialogue reveals that that college is about two hours away from Boston. Can you guess what college it was filmed at? Are they at Smith? They are at Smith. You got it in one. My first thought was like a Amherst Mount Holyoke, but and that's close by, but it is Smith. Well, let me just say that while I have never spent any real time in Boston, I have a very specific target audience, and I used to believe that I could meet a woman and fall in love. And Smith seemed like the kind of place that I needed to know where it was. <laughs> just, just being prepared like a Boy Scout is what you're saying. You just, exactly. just knew. You know? All right. I, I've never been to Oberlin, and I'm sure I could get there like a truffle pig. So Baby Newworth is investigating the serial rape. Uh, she she arrives at, at Bill Pullman's office just as a student is leaving. That student is the one scene in this movie by Gwyneth Paltrow. The midterm was at 8.30. I set my alarm for 7, and it didn't go off. I mean, if Professor Smith wants to give me an incomplete, then I really don't care. I can't control everything in this world. My alarm didn't go off. That's good. That's very good, Polo. That's so much better than locking your copy of Beowulf in your friend's car. Thank you. Also, let it be said, this is the most Gwyneth Paltrow I have ever seen Gwyneth Paltrow play in a movie. (laughs) From there, there is a moment that I wanted to ask you about. Right after this is a scene, Bo Pullman hasn't come home yet. Alec Baldwin and Nicole Kidman just pass each other in the bathroom. And again, I got to say, up to this point, Nicole Kidman's character, Tracy, has been very, very standoffish with the new guy who just moved in. She has disliked him from the start. She has made it clear that she didn't want him to move in. And there is some tension between the two that we don't understand. And in this moment... He comes upon Tracy in the bathroom taking her pills and and scares the living daylights out of her. And then they just share a moment staring at each other when they hear Bill Pullman come in downstairs. What did you think was going on? At this moment, I assume they have a shared history. Because the language of filmmaking tells me so in every possible way. And I can see the clues, but I also think that this could have covered for these are two people who didn't like each other running into each other and having an incredibly awkward, maybe kind of scary moment where one seems to be menacing the other. You could be completely in the present with this moment and not assume that there was some shared past between them and the scene would still make sense. It just makes more sense with that idea of the assumed past. So so you were just there from the beginning. Yeah, and actually, this is one of those interesting moments where the idea that it could be interpreted in any other way seems insane to me. It's not in the text. It's in the language of filmmaking, and it's just in the language of filmmaking. Afterwards, Alec Baldwin has some very loud sex to a terrible cover of Mama Told Me Not to Come, which, not the... Best sex music I can think of. Um, I laughed about it. Out loud in my own home. (laughs) (laughs) Was that meant to be intentionally? No, this was not meant to be an intentional dichotomy. You think this is cool fucking music is what you do. It's an unfortunate choice. But, you know, we we learned some things from from this scene. We learned that Jed tells the young woman he brings home that he is impervious to alcohol. 
Uh, we we see a lot of hairy Alec Baldwin body, so that's another thing we learn is how he it's it is on full display in this movie. He is having a lot of manscaping done at, at later stages in his career, and uh, I did not realize that. Borzier, I don't know about you, but I think it's time to kill Gwyneth Paltrow. Is, 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 is feeling like it's about that time in this movie? It is absolutely time to kill Gwyneth Paltrow. So Bill Pullman, for reasons that are as stretched as thin as they can be by by the script and still make sense. He decides to make a house call to Gwyneth Paltrow when she doesn't show up at an appointment that they had. And he comes into her home and finds two things, both equally horrifying. One is, is her corpse. The second, and I'm almost certain that you noticed it, was the flying toaster screensaver. Um, I absolutely did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've seen Flying Toaster Screensaver outside this movie uh, for... 30 years? Yeah, I know. It was wild. It's one of those moments of nostalgia you don't even realize you have. You're like, oh my god, yes, that's right. Everything used to look like that. If there is a young person listening who doesn't know what the Flying Toaster Screensaver was, uh, first off... Was it After Dark? After Dark. And that we had to pay for them, like kind of in the way people would go crazy about paying for ringtones ten years ago. Yeah, we like, like sure. You yeah, had, yeah, yeah. You had to buy software that had little animations on your screen so it wouldn't be destroyed by just being on when you walked away from your screen. And it's just one of the famous ones was the flying toasters. And the timing couldn't be worse because yeah, dead body and then flying toasters. <laughs> Right. The, nothing saps the tension like like the the little computerized sound of flapping wings. He sees the flying toasters, and so I'm still in flying toasters land for a minute. Mm-hmm. Because you hear it, and he sees it, and he goes over to it. And, uh, yay, flying toasters! And then he sees the hair. One of the quirks that we should mention is that our serial rapist cuts off the hair of, of, of the women he assaults. Yeah, and so he sees the cut hair, and then he finds her. Oh, and can I just say, just the best corpse expression ever. Just the best corpse expression ever. Is that, in your opinion, Gwyneth Paltrow with death makeup on, some kind of double with makeup on, or is that is that like some kind of... Some kind of mannequin. Yeah, some kind of mannequin. Yeah, it's some kind of mannequin. They, they've, uh, they've, and, and the only reason you know it's not Gwyneth Paltrow, like 100%, is that... You see it a couple of times, and the the grimace is perfect every single time. But honestly, it's just going to be a much bigger pain to use a human being for mm. all of those shots. It's going to be more economical to have it perfectly and have it done by, you know, props and art. And put it in a box, pull it out of a box. Put it in a box, pull it out of a box. It's going to be much easier for what they're using her for. So next is one of, I think, the most important scenes in the movie. Bill Pullman and Alec Baldwin go out for a drink as Bill Pullman is shocked by having discovered the corpse of one of his students. You want to hear about the first time I ever saw a corpse? No. It was my first year of medical school. Gross anatomy. The instructor takes a radial saw to the cadaver's head. People are running out of the room. They're passing out. They're turning green. 
My date really didn't bother me all that much, though. It's a great story, Jed. Of course, I'll never look at a cantaloupe the same way again, but other than that... Yeah, this is the uh, first moment I feel like where Bill Pullman is starting to look askance at Alec mm-hmm. Baldwin. They're sitting, they're watching uh, a college football game, and Jed asks about where one of the players is, and apparently he got kicked off the team because he failed a, a drug test, and, and Jed says... That upsets me. Guy can't stay off cocaine for one million dollars. Man, I'd give my right arm for a million dollars. I can't afford plumbing for Christ's sake. Would you really? What? Give your right arm for one million dollars. <laughs> you mean like literally? Well, not even an arm. Let's just say a finger. One finger for one million dollars. Right. This is a strange conversation. But we're talking about a surgical procedure just to the joint. Would you do it? And it turns out that this is the core question of the movie. Nobody knows this. We've been given no reason to know it. Um, yeah, as he waves his little pinky, super menacingly in retrospect, he reveals to us the premise of the movie. It, it's this creepy moment where Bill Pullman's like, no, no, I wouldn't. Would you? And Alec Baldwin just stares at him, just stares at him, and then cracks the ice he's chewing on. He's just like, and, and, yep. <laughs> and then says, no, no, I wouldn't. Bill Pullman is forced to leave the bar because he has to go to the police station to give a sperm sample. At home, Tracy starts grasping her side. She is in intense pain and she's taken to the hospital. And this, this is where we get the hint that this movie might be about something we didn't think it was. Alec Baldwin is called in from the bar where he was drinking with two townies, and and he is doing surgery on Nicole Kidman. He has to cut out an ovary that is, is hemorrhaged. Okay, here, this is the point at which I am solving the rest of the plot of the movie in about four minutes. Really? I went to law school and have a master's in clinical bioethics. Oh yeah, huh? Wait, so wait, so wait. Let, let, let's kind of let me list out the thing that happens next, and you tell me. <laughs> so, having already taken out one ovary, she is pregnant at the time, and and the the trauma of the surgery caused her to lose the baby. He sees that the second ovary is necrotic; that it it has damage on the outside, and he goes to Bill Pullman and says, "Look, if we close her up, she could die in the middle of the night. If." We cut this ovary out. She'll live, definitely, but she will never have children again. And so this is the choice. This is the moment. And Bill Pullman, deeply in love with his wife that he had gentle Chinese food sex with, says, you do what you have to do. Save her life. And Alec Baldwin goes in, cuts out the other ovary. So what is your thought as someone who who has, has thought about law and bioethics? Yeah, it was something that would be straight out of a textbook. It's almost too straight out of a textbook. And so what you don't know is, are we trying to say he's stupid or is the writer stupid? It doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's it's absolutely, it's a perfect sort of law school healthcare 
test. <laughs> now, is is this is this even like a full essay question on a final, or is this like a short answer? Like this is a short answer. Yeah, yeah, this is a short answer. Turns out that the second ovary that Alec Baldwin removes was in fact healthy. It was just the outside looked bad, and so he has stolen away Nicole Kidman's ability to have children. For no good reason. So, whoopsie, malpractice. I don't think it would surprise you to learn that one of the original titles of this movie was Damages, which I think is a better title. Oh, absolutely. Malice is a terrible title for a movie. Oh, for or for this movie. This is my theory. Somebody floated Damages, and then there was a problem with that. Like, maybe it gave too much away. Somebody didn't like that in, in some room. No, no, no. It didn't clear something legal. Mm. Like, damages didn't clear something with legal. And so somebody throws out, what about malpractice? And they're like, no, people don't know what malpractice is. No, that's stupid. Malice. Yeah. Malice. Mal. Yeah, we'll keep the mal. (laughs) Tracy is pissed. Nicole Kidman is going to sue. She is suing everybody. She's moving out. Her marriage to Bill Pullman is over. She is going to destroy Alec Baldwin. Malpractice insurance is going to destroy him. He'll never practice medicine again. And now it's time for the deposition, because this movie is basically the deposition and then the rest of this movie before and after. Nothing compares to the deposition scene, in my opinion. No, the 10 minutes of the deposition scene is insane. It's insane. It's 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 like someone boiled acting. Mm-hmm. It's like someone said, <laughs> said, can I see acting? Where's the most acting? I'm going mm-hmm. to take the most acting and I will put it here. And all of the people who have to be involved in it will be the most actors. Like, like George C. Scott just stops by for this one scene. <laughs> George C. Scott is not in this movie. <laughs> just He just stops by to give some pointers. You know, hey, you know, I was in Strange Love. Just letting you know, just reminding you. <laughs> Hey, I I heard we were having all the acting here. (laughs) Peter Gallagher is there. His eyebrows are doing a lot of work, maybe like more than the rest of him. And and here's where we get the idea of the God complex. So George C. Scott is one of Alec Baldwin's former teachers, mentors, and he just recently denied Alec Baldwin a job at Mass General seven months ago. And one of the reasons is that he suffers from the God complex. What's a God complex? How did you get this information? This is privileged information. What's a God complex? It's a term that has no clinical meaning uh, at all. Doctors throw it around. Sir, all due respect, but knock it off. What did you mean in this evaluation when you said Dr. Hill had a God complex? The power to heal can be an enormous thing. An enormous thing. To save a life, to get blood flowing into cells and vital organs, if a person can do that, and if one can do it as exceptionally as Dr. Hill, it's not uncommon for a person like that to begin to believe that he can do anything. The power to heal can be like a drug. And I gotta say, I don't like the lawyer doing the other part of the deposition right now. So, so wait, so, so Peter Gallagher, what, what's he doing that's wrong, just out of, out of curiosity? Even in a deposition, you're really just not supposed to yell at somebody until they say the wrong stuff. I, I've said things twice for emphasis, mostly because that's how I've seen things on Law and Order. And, uh, I've had a judge or a magistrate just tell me to stop immediately. 
And, now, and here, Peter Gallagher is, is straight up yelling at George C. Scott. Does he have a God complex? Did you tell me about the God complex? In, in an absurd choice by Alec Baldwin's lawyer, Alec Baldwin responds to the question, do you have a God complex? Because Alec Baldwin's lawyer is the worst lawyer in movie history. Even worse than Peter Gallagher. Peter Gallagher's being a dick. I don't like him. Alec Baldwin's lawyer is a bad lawyer. Let your client respond to the question, do you have a God complex? (laughs) I'm sorry. I would like to know if your client thinks he's something. I would like to know uh, if if the court... uh if the court can be informed if your client feels he is hot shit. Alec Baldwin's response is maybe one of my favorite things in, in, in movies. So I would like us to have a deposition off. W- would you like to go first or second in the, de- in the deposition off? Uh, I'll go second. I'll go second You'll in go the deposition second. off. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, All I'll right. clean up, Okay. Okay. This is my rendition of Alec Baldwin responding to the question, do you have a God complex? Which makes me wonder if this lawyer has any idea what kind of grades one has to receive in college to get into a top medical school. If you even have the vaguest clue how talented someone has to be to lead a surgical team. I have an MD from Harvard. I am board certified in cardiothoracic medicine and trauma surgery. I have been awarded citations from seven different medical boards in New England, and I am never, ever sick at sea. So I ask you, when someone goes into that chapel and they fall on their knees and their wife doesn't miscarry, or that their daughter doesn't bleed to death, or that their mother doesn't suffer acute neural trauma from post-operative shock, who do you think they're praying to? Now go ahead and read your Bible, Dennis, and you go to your church, and with any luck, you might win your annual raffle. But if you're looking for God, he was in operating room two on November 17th, and he doesn't like to be second-guessed. You ask me if I have a God complex? Let me tell you something. I am God, and this sideshow is over. I feel strong in my performance. I want to hear yours. That was that was really strong, and he's very I, I he's very mid-Atlantic, and I'm I'm sort of nervous about it. Uh, I, I feel, I feel like, I feel like this side of the conversation is at least a little more Semitic. Uh, and that's, that's gonna be... I can do, I'm doing, I'm doing my Baldwin impression, right? Like that, that is, you know, it's not a very good Baldwin, but it is good Baldwin doing that speech. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just pointing out, I made no choices. I just repeated the, the kind of choices that Alec Baldwin made when he did that speech. That's all I did. Then I will do the same thing. All right. Which makes me wonder if this lawyer has any idea what kind of grades one has to receive in college to get into a top medical school. If you even have the vaguest clue how talented someone has to be to lead a surgical team. I have an MD from Harvard. I am board certified in cardiothoracic medicine and trauma surgery. I have been awarded citations from seven different medical boards in New England, and I am never, ever sick at sea. So I ask you, when someone goes into that chapel and they fall on their knees, that their wife doesn't miscarry, that their daughter doesn't bleed to death, or that their mother doesn't suffer acute neural trauma from post-operative shock, who do you think they're praying to? Now go ahead and read your Bible, Dennis, and you go to your church, and with any luck, you might win the annual raffle, but if you're looking for God, he was in operating room number two on November 17th, and he doesn't like to be second-guessed. You ask me if I have a God complex? Let me tell you something. I am God, and this side show is over. That's a lot of words.
you, you definitely win for speed. You just like burnt, burnt through it. <laughs> Actually, no, no, no. Here's what's happening. You were just doing Alec Baldwin. And I thought I was until I realized I was reading Sorkin dialogue. That's what was happening there. <laughs> then suddenly you're walking and talking, and you exactly all of a sudden I'm all of a sudden Josh Lyman's just happening here. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to be quick. Why? Because I'm almost at the end of the hall, and I... ah, exactly. There's, there's going to be a turnaround here in a second, and I got and I got to quote the Bible, and I have to say something about Tennessee Williams, and I haven't even covered the national debt. <laughs> I am the very model of a modern major general. (laughs) There's so much Sorkin in this movie, but the thing that I can't get over is that he put a Gilbert and Sullivan quote in this, the never ever sick at sea. I'm just like, ugh, that's too much. That's a step too far. (laughs) Again, I didn't know it was a Sorkin movie even after I had finished watching it. Um, yes, on rewatch. <laughs> oh, all right. It, it just all clicks. <laughs> it, it, it could not be anything else other than that. <laughs> like, like, wow. This would this be like, 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 like wandering upon a copy of Mallrats, watching mm. it and then finding out, oh, no, that's a Kevin Smith movie. Like, oh, my right. God. Yes. <laughs> it, 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 the only way it could have been more Aaron Sorkin is if there had been a female character who was kind of clumsy but very competent and unlucky in love. I mean, that and if Tommy Schlamy had produced it, but yeah. <laughs> We're right there at the moment where this becomes a different movie. We're, we haven't hit it just yet. We are about to hit one of the strangest things that has ever happened in a movie in my opinion. We're in the lobby for the mm-hmm. next movie right now. Right. Is what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> we got we got one more little thing we got to fi- like one tiny little detail we got to tie off and then we can go into the second movie. How about that? So, Bill Pullman is in utter misery watching Nicole Kidman leave from the building after the deposition just just afraid to even speak to her. He he's lost everything. And so that night he's working late. And a light bulb goes out. So he has to go down into the basement to get another light bulb. And down in the basement, he notices there's kind of a bed set up. There's a room set up in the basement of the the college building where he's working. And he pokes around. he, He sees a photograph. And he sees a little box. And he opens a little box. And in the little box is some hair. He turns around, and it's the guy from Saw. The guy from Saw and the Firm. (laughs) Who had maybe, maybe like a little cameo moment where he brushed past Gwyneth Paltrow earlier. But Tobin Bell is standing there. (laughs) I mean, sure, he's a character actor, but no. It's the year 2020, and I am familiar with this character actor and the roles he plays. So, if there's any question that we have discovered our serial rapist, there is none now. There is none. It is it is the guy from Saw. <laughs> Which I will say, there are three people in this movie making a sincere attempt at a Boston accent. One is Bebe Newirth. The second is Tobin Bell. Uh, you live down here? No, no. Just for a while. My landlady asked me to leave, put me in a tight spot. I won't stay here long, though. I promise, Mr. Savior. No, you stay here as long as you want her. And he's doing a nice little subtle one too. Like I, I like, yeah, no, I actually no, like his bad. the best. Like of yeah, the of the good. three, his is the best. I think. Having had this realization, 
that, of course, if the guy from Saw is here, he's definitely a serial rapist. And he tries to calmly walk away. And as if, as if he is as well versed in movies as we are, Bill Pullman kind of just knows, just knows. Yeah! And, <laughs> and Tobin Bell, the guy from Saw, knows that he knows. And as Bill Pullman tries to walk away, he just attacks Bill Pullman. And they have a, a knockdown, dragout fight. Which Bill Pullman just wins. He just wins the fight, <laughs> kicks the ass of the guy from Saw, and like that, our serial rapist subplot is over. It turns out that wasn't what the movie was about. That movie is done! A completely unrelated thing is happening, which is that this guy, who is involved in another movie, mm -hmm. beat up that rapist! Mm -hmm. The end! He beat up the rapist! <laughs> nope. Nope. The Gwyneth Paltrow's Avenged, that movie is over. I like this. I like this. I actually really like this. I'd forgotten this moment until right now. After Bill Pullman kicks the shit out of the guy from Saw. Yeah. He stops for a second. And I'm 95% sure they used a take mm. where he was just like, all right, is that is that it, guys? Is that good? <laughs> and then leaves the room. The pacing of the moment is is kind of great. It's a great little shot. Now, I will, I will say, there is another move before he does that. His other move is he just takes the fire extinguisher that he just beaten him with and just kind of tosses it on him, but not, like, like really hard. Just like... No, no, oh. no, yeah, just drops it on him. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> And then, yeah, no, they just kind of wanders out of the scene. He's like, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done with this movie. <laughs> this movie's I, over. I've, I've got a second movie I have to deal with. I am done with this first movie. Could okay. you guys clear up the horror movie with B.B. Newworth? I got a... <laughs> I, got, I got a thriller with Jack Donaghy in the next room. <laughs> <laughs> I got to take care of it. It's been, it's been bugging me all night long. <laughs> I got I to go get drinks with Lilith. <laughs> <laughs> so we got we to gotta point something out because there's another moment that is, again, incredibly important and happens in seconds. So it has to be mentioned. While at the police station, Baby North is talking to him, and she looks at a weird CPR doll that, for some reason, when you move it, its eyes will open, and says, Junior, have you met the professor? He's a very tough guy. It's the most horrifying thing ever. <laughs> No, because it just looks like Chucky. He's a little big for a toddler, a little small for an adolescent. This is, this is like a 10-year-old Chucky at this point. Bebe North takes him out for a drink. And this is where she lays down the twist that starts the second movie. Turns out they got his sperm sample back from when he was tested to, to make sure that he wasn't the rapist. And he is sterile. So there is no way that the baby that Tracy had earlier was his. His entire world is thrown into chaos. He rushes over to Alec Baldwin. He's like, hey, we got her. She reamed both of us. It's too late for me, but it's not too late for you. Andy, I don't mean to seem indelicate, but as far as my situation is concerned, it doesn't matter if Tracy was sleeping with the Boston Celtics. I took out her reproductive system. It was a wrong call, and the bill was $20 million. No, that's where you're wrong. See, the $20 million, that's a big settlement, right? That wasn't for the fuck-up. 
That, that was for the victim. The insurance company settled high and fast because they thought they were up against Snow White. What happens if Snow White is shacking up with her lawyer, Chad, huh? You dummy. Alec Baldwin is strangely uninterested in this plan. And then he goes to uh, Peter Gallagher's office, right? Right. He goes to Peter Gallagher, Dennis the lawyer. This is a nice office. What the hell happened to your face? I beat the shit out of a deeply disturbed serial rapist. Hey, I want an explanation. An explanation for what? For how my wife could have been pregnant when her husband's sterile. What was it? Immaculate conception? If that's the case, Dennis, I wouldn't have settled for 20 million if I were you. And and I say, I like this scene a lot. I think there's a lot of good subtle stuff happening here. When he bursts into Peter Gallagher's office saying, you slept with my wife, Peter Gallagher's like, call security. But the second he mentions insurance fraud, Peter Gallagher's like, oh, let's talk. Like he, he flips yeah, on exactly. a dime. It's, right? <laughs> it's a good and it's a, it's, it's a good Peter Gallagher moment. That's, it's really the last time we see him in the, in this movie, isn't it? Yeah. yeah Peter Gallagher's done. Yeah. No, that's, that's it. <laughs> you know, I mean, these are all exposition dumps at some level. There's, yeah, there's fun stuff, but we're in the Columbo movie now. <laughs> yeah. And we have to cram a movie's worth of plot into the back half of this movie. And that's the problem. Like every scene at this point is now getting to the next scene. Why is it logical to get to the next scene? Yeah, because we closed up that whole first thing because because mm-hmm. the whole first half hour is is a setting. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's what it's what you said. And I and I thought it was it was funny that this is the exact words that, that Roger Ebert had about it is that it just throws in a serial killer plot for atmosphere. That's it's an insane thing for a movie to have spent half of its time on. And he's a more interesting character if he caught a serial rapist earlier. Well, you know how Die Hard's at Christmas? It's kind of <laughs> like that. <laughs> no, and I thought it was really weird when they had the guy from Saw say, ho, 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 I killed Gwyneth Paltrow. That was very strange. So the only thing we get out of this scene is at some point, Dennis the lawyer just lets it slip that Tracy's mother is alive. I'm saying I didn't handle Mrs. Kensinger's estate and anything outside the framework of your wife's lawsuit is not. Uh, I don't give a concern. fuck about the lawsuit, Dennis. I'm asking you to talk about. Is your mother alive? Where does she live? Please understand. Fuck it. I'll find her myself. Andy. Scotch. What? Bring her a bottle of scotch. And then we get the second random great actor popping in for one scene. We're just going to get a scene with Anne Bancroft as Nicole Kidman's mom. (laughs) And she's going to go away. (laughs) She's not going to come back. (laughs) No, she has no place in the rest of this movie. (laughs) She has no place in the rest of this movie. She's just stopping by to give a little acting (laughs) clinic and then she's gone. (laughs) Like she and George were out to lunch earlier. And he was like, oh, no, I'm going to do this picture with that uh, that boy, that boy from the Beetlejuice movie. Yeah, no, 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 no. You should come by. I'm sure they'll find something. <laughs> uh, I imagine in the case of both George C. Scott and Anne Bancroft, they have very small roles, but they're small roles you can have fun with and you can do in a day. These scenes are, yeah, they're an exposition dump, but they're about, like, you'll, you'll knock it out of the park and you'll come for a day. You sit. You sit for the whole scene. You sit and drink scotch and talk to a handsome young man. 
Yeah, and and it occurred to me, both her and George C. Scott both just sitting the entire time. You, if you're bringing those guys in for, for cameos, you don't make them stand. No, and Anne Bancroft's just killing it. Third Boston accent. She's the only one who's doing, like, a hardcore Boston accent. Like, Baby North, is, is, she's got her own thing. Tobin Bell's doing something very soft. But Anne Bancroft is from Southie. 200 bucks. You want to give me 200 bucks? I know what you got is. I give you 200 bucks. I don't. No. Because once money's involved, you take me seriously, right? Look, you said there was a point here, and I Why think do I... you give a Frenchman's fuck who she was sleeping with? Get into the game. Go for the 20 million yourself. You saying that Tracy set this up? What the hell have I been telling you? Am I talking to my shadow? The whole thing was a setup. You're crazy. Yeah? And how come I have the jack of clubs in my fucking pocket? Yeah, Anne Bancroft's doing a Boston accent like I've heard professionals do a Boston accent in quotes. She is doing Southie, and it is appropriate. What we learn from this one-off scene is what the movie is all about. This is a con game movie. And Nicole Kidman has been building a con to get a lot of insurance money from the hospital. This is where the plot starts getting real sloppy. Right. <laughs> okay, this is the that makes me feel better because honestly, like as we're talking here, I realize we're like two-thirds through the movie. I'm like, oh, I know what's happening now. Like everything's fine now. It's the last half hour where what? Yeah, and and now we're into it. Now we're into the last half hour, and the last half hour is incredibly confusing. And Bancroft lets it slip that once upon a time, Nicole Kidman had been pregnant, pocketed the money from an abortion, and ran off with the doctor that was supposed to give the abortion, and then stole $80,000 from the clinic. And Bill Pullman is like, was that doctor named Lillian Field? So he's out on a hunt for Dr. Lillian Field. And I... I still don't understand the mechanism by how he found Dr. Lillian Field. It, okay, so it has to do with, a, like, some kind of medical messaging service. And he goes into that medical messaging service claiming to be Dr. Lillian Field and asks for a change of address form and gets an address. But that entire scene doesn't make sense for reasons we're about to find out. He shows up at this house, at this address he got from this messaging service, he peeks in. He knows Nicole Kidman is here. In the darkness, Nicole Kidman and the man that she has been plotting this with come in, and it is Alec Baldwin. She has been plotting this with Alec Baldwin from the beginning. That is the turn. That is the, the, the big twist, is that they were in on it together from jump. She organized this surgery so he could mess it up on purpose, so they could get tremendous amount of money and then split it. But, like, this is what I mean, like... I knew what this movie was the minute he leaves surgery and I just go, so they're in cahoots. And then it just played out like I thought it would. As far as, again, the main beats of the plot. I still have no idea what's happening. <laughs> no, because because again, things are happening so quick. And uh, the only other thing that we got to mention is Bill Pullman. He discovers a syringe with a little bit of liquid in it. That's an important thing to note. Also felt very Columbo. Felt very Columbo. Right, because that's what we're doing right now. We're, we're piecing together clues and we don't have the time to do it in. Right? Like... <laughs> Well, yeah, ex exactly. There's not even 30 minutes of movie here, and you gotta... <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, I think almost its speed works for it, because if we had spent the whole movie just doing this last half hour, it would be kind of unexceptional. Well, again, it's fun, and it elevates what would be boring, you're right, to something kind of challenging, kind of fun. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. But as far as story construction goes, oh, they have quit. Because it's impossible to follow it at this point. We do get a nice calming seat on the beach between Nicole Kidman and Alec Baldwin. I got a letter today. From who? Whom? From whom? From Dr. Kessler. What did he say? He didn't say, Tracy. It was a letter he wrote. Jed, take a drink, take a pill, do whatever it is you have to, but lighten the fuck up. What did he write? That he was sorry. That he was very sorry. That was thoughtful of him. (laughs) What? It was. The man put us over the top. I was in the room. The bartender was just icing, but Kessler was the one who closed it. Come on, what more do you want from the man? I want him to know it. I want him to know that I was holding the strings. I do not like Alec Baldwin's character in this movie. I would not want to be his friend. Mm. I would not want to eat sandwiches with him. Basically, they run off to cavort naked, and we get to see a little more hairy Alec Baldwin. Oh, they were cavorting, weren't they? It was a cavort. And while they're rolling around in the bed, Nicole Kidman gets stuck by a syringe. And Alec Baldwin immediately knows, immediately knows that this has got to be Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman's figured it out. How does Alec Baldwin know this so quickly? It's just because we need it. We we only have 20 minutes left. Because, no, it's because he's Aaron Sorkin. Again, it's it's because he's Josh Lyman. He's a genius and smarter than you, and it's happening. And it has to for the story to move this fast. <laughs> Let's retrace the plan and see if we can put our finger on the detail we may have overlooked. One of us may have improvised. One of us may have decided that to get pregnant would... Double the money. It did double the money. Now, I don't want to hear about it anymore. It is history. Oh, no, 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 kitten. It's the present. It's the here and the now and the needle in the haystack. Let me ask you something. Once he found out he was sterile, how long do you think it took him to figure out there was no Dr. Lillianfield? Do you understand what I'm saying? There wasn't supposed to be a baby. But but here's where we see the cracks between him and Nicole Kidman, who's, again, relationship we just discovered. <laughs> and he says something here, which I, I think creates something interesting in Alec Baldwin's character that you don't see in thrillers very much. And it occurred to me, she made him complicit in the killing of that fetus. And he didn't know it was happening. No, no, no. And he is not the... Uh... He is is asking himself some questions now. Uh Uh-huh. He is the man who is a criminal, right? He sees himself committing this criminal act of defrauding a bunch of people, and he knows he's completely justified in it. He knows because he's the smartest guy in the room, he deserves that money from them. But what he's not is a killer. He is genuinely uninterested in harming anyone. Other than the people he defrauds. This is also, I think this is the most interesting thing about Alec Baldwin's character. In in the discovery that Bill Pullman knows about them, Cole Kimmins meets up with him for a glass of wine. By the way, 
uh, Ann Cusack has the most thankless waitress role I've ever seen in my life. I can Im- imagine her having to audition for this and just having Nicole Kidman be abusive to her on screen for a full day and a half. Yeah, da- yeah, yeah. That's that's a that's a that's a half dayer because there's you know there's a, there's a couple of turnarounds in there. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's just rough. Like, she has to give these lines that go nowhere and mean nothing. And it's not her fault. She's, she's, Ann Cusack's great. In this moment where they meet, there's the first kind of verbal combat of the entire movie, of the con game. Because suddenly, Bill Pullman is representing that he knows what's going on and he's trying to take control of the situation. And Tracy knows that he is just a dumbass patsy. No, this scene's amazing. I rewatched the scene like three times and yes, it's the payoff. It's you get the feeling that this scene is why this movie exists. I found a hypodermic needle in my bed. I don't know who put it there. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I didn't think it was funny. And as you well know, I have a healthy sense of humor. So what I'm saying is this. Whoever played that joke is playing in a league. They're just not ready for it. Now I came here hoping we could reach an understanding. I'm afraid I'm going to have to hold a grudge on this one, Trace. Oh, go to the cops. I'll call you crazy. As with Westerly or any other school at which you try and get a teaching job. Happy hunting, Andy. Sit the fuck down. What? I said sit the fuck down. I'm running the show now. Because all of a sudden, it's about who has the power, and it switches back and forth three times in their conversation. And that's great mm-hmm. to watch. Yeah. Right? At first, Nicole Kidman has everything, but then he pulls out the big guns. But it turns out that Pergonol, when it's injected in like massive quantities, will actually create ovarian cysts. Thank God there was a brilliant young surgeon around, Trace, because you gave us all quite a scare. The hormone dissolved in the ovaries, you wouldn't have a clue how much I was taking. That's right. It's not like I had a witness. I mean, if I had a witness who saw a jet giving you the injections, then you and Dr. Man would be spending the rest of your sexually active years in a place where if you're very, very good, they'll let you work in the laundry. You're bluffing. Tracy, right now, more than anything else in the world, don't you wish that I'd finally gotten around to putting up the curtains in the bedroom? The creepy kid who was watching from the window witnessed everything. And with my witness, we're going to the police if you don't give me half the money. Man, Chekhov's creepy keyboard kid, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Is is there a greater cliche in cinema? No, and, and Nicole Kidman just like so freaked out by this sudden event, her wine glass just snaps in her hand. It's it's, it's awesome. Yeah, that's oh god, even that's I'd like it. Okay, you can hear the tone shift in my voice for the last ten minutes of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's great, and that's I, I, I it's a it's a fun picture. Right, because it's it's confusing and it's nonsensical, but it's propulsive, and you don't care because because you're roller coastering at this point. Yeah, but and but the last ten minutes is just it's just rock and roll. You mm-hmm. are untethered from the rules of storytelling or reality, and mm-hmm. when she breaks that glass with one of the many long-suffering members of the Cusack family. Uh, that, is, that is the crescendo. And it's all just going to be a blast from here. Just okay. And has, I think, 
My second favorite line from Bill Pullman. She's like asking him, what do you want? He's like, what does anyone want? I want the Red Sox to win the World Series. (laughs) So Nicole Kidman rushes back to Alec Baldwin, tells him, look, we kill one kid and then we're home free with the money. We don't have to share it with Andy. And he's he's like, no, I'm I'm not going to kill this child. (laughs) Oh, no, we're criminals. Let's commit crimes. Oh, you want to commit a murder? Well, no. (laughs) <laughs> well, how are you going to stop me? Like the police and stuff. I will. <laughs> it's it's a murder. You'll go to jail. Yeah, don't murder a kid. And I think it's such a cool character choice. Because you, yeah, because you never see that in movies where someone's just like, nope. <laughs> and he just goes off and slaps her. But it's like you said earlier. He slaps her in the waspiest way. You know? <laughs> in, in the clear, like... I am too dignified and good for this, and how dare you bring me down to this level of being the kind of person who would hit a woman? How how dare you drive me to this savagery? This mm-hmm. is so beneath me. My God, right. did you see that? Did you see the way my hand hit your face? <laughs> Moving on its own, completely outside of my control. In that moment, we are preparing ourselves for what happens next, which is that Nicole Kidman just shoots him. <laughs> you know, so, which is again. <laughs> <laughs> fucking rock star man <laughs> right because because it's like you, you, even if you feel like okay this is a movie about nicole kibben and alec baldwin trying to get away with the crime nope nope one of one of the antagonists <laughs> no. just wiped out by the other <laughs> no and you you see that in other movies all the time but it's somehow all tied together here nope we're just done with alec baldwin now why? He never mattered. Nope. He's no good to us anymore. <laughs> I'll just I'll just kill the kid now. Kill Alec Baldwin and then we're good. Like, you are now along with Nicole Kidman and it's like... She's the protagonist now, honestly. It's switched. Like, since, since the moment where they discovered the needle, it is Nicole Kidman's movie. And, and, and she's knocking it out of the park, too. I forget how much I love Nicole Kidman. She's one of those actresses who I, I think we take for granted. It's She's never been bad. She's always been great. But she's also rarely given a chance to kind of have fun. And she's having fun here. This is an actress who is kicking ass and enjoying it. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, she plays very sweetly, but then she has moments where she cracks, like tiny moments like the scene in the bathroom where she just snaps at Alec Baldwin, or or a moment where at the very, very beginning where she's working in the children's ward and she just threatens to feed a kid to the little kid monster, and you're like, where did this come from, from this woman? Yeah, exactly. Where you're just like... What? Oh, oh. <laughs> and then, and then she makes her turn, and her turn is so complete. And you see the entire history of this woman growing up in South Boston in her performance. And it's great, because it wasn't anywhere in the previous part of the film, but you buy that it was true the whole time. And that's the key to this movie for me, more than anything else, is just everyone's so overqualified for what they're doing. From Aaron Sorkin yeah. on <laughs> down. Uh, maybe, you know... The director, Harold Becker, I don't have any problem with him, but maybe he's the only one. But all the talent is just, yeah, is just, is just way more than, than the movie deserves, maybe. (laughs) And now we are going to finish up this movie in one final scene that makes no sense. Makes no sense. (laughs) At all. (laughs) So Tracy has decided... 
that there's only one thing to do. She's gotta kill the next door neighbor child because then there'll be no witnesses and then she gets to keep the $20 million and Bill Pullman can go screw. So she waits for his mom, who's a nurse, to leave. She breaks into his home. She creeps up the stairs. She hears the creepy keyboard accordion playing in the background. She goes into his room. She takes some plastic wrap and puts it around his face to strangle this child. And it's not a child. It is the CPR dummy. It's the CPR dummy from the middle of the movie. And there's check off CPR dummy. <laughs> God, there's no reason why it should be there. There's no reason at all. And then Bill Pullman is standing there. He's like, ha, tricked you, didn't I? And then she tackles him. They fall. And Bebe Newirth is there. She pulls a gun on him and arrests her. The, the movie still has one more twist. <laughs> one more twist. <laughs> is that Tracy's being let off. She has been arrested. She's in the back of the cruiser. And she looks out and she sees the child's mother come home with the child, again, who's been safely somewhere else all this time. And then the child pulls out one of those sticks because he's blind. And he starts tapping on the ground because the child was blind and never saw anything to begin with. There was no witness. If this was an episode of a TV show, I would honestly say, I bet what happened is they had three opposing ideas about how to end it. <laughs> and no one could figure out which one to do. And the intern said, just do them all. Let's say they get her on the break-in and attempted murder. Why did Bill Pullman have to be in the house? Because without yeah. Bill Pullman in the house, something is at least plausible here. Mm -hmm. Although it's also insane. This movie posits that Bill Pullman called the police. Yes. He must have off-screen had himself let into a stranger's home. Who agreed? To allow her child, her blind child, to be bait for a murderous con artist. The mother's in on this. The mother says, oh, sure, use my house for the evening. I don't mind if they're coming to kill my child. The police let Bill Pullman go into that house. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. Yep. To catch her in the act. And... Let them fight and fall down the stairs and do the whole thing. So, I love this movie. I love it deeply. But the last thing that I just want to just hit are some of the questions that in a dozen watches I have never answered. Ever. And the first one is, how did Tracy and Jed even meet? Jed at one point says, there is no Dr. Lillianfield. So, huh? So there never was a guy, which means it's very strange that he had an address on file with a medical messaging service, by the way. Yeah, no, no. I was going to that 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 was what I thought you were bringing up before. Like, wait, huh? That just doesn't make sense. Th this is just a question I just have no answer to because there's nothing there in the movie. Like, I have no idea how they could have possibly joined forces at any point in time. Maybe maybe it's like a guns and ammo thing. You know, maybe she's some kind of mercenary. <laughs> <laughs> just in the, the back, in, 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 the, in the personal section. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just got, you got con men back there. 
Like disgraced surgeon looking for con artist must be hot, six foot tall. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Oh no, absolutely. (laughs) That is what happened. That is actually my head cannon now. I'm not. I'm not comfortable with anything else. All right. Why does Tracy have such a fancy, expensive lawyer to begin with? Why is Peter Gallagher her lawyer? Because she's been preparing an elaborate con. Okay, so she's just had him on retainer for that entire yeah. time. Like, okay, all right, all right. Then yeah. I'll just okay, I'll just take that one. Okay. When does Jed twist her second ovary to make it look necrotic? Because she said you put you put your hands in me, you twisted my ovary around to make it look dead necrotic. Like she says that line. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what I mean is he does it like just while he's in there. Like so, it's like a sleight of hand thing. Like while while they're looking at him doing surgery on the one ovary, he's twisting the other in one surgery. Is that enough time? Like like so. Let's say you're at the beginning of the surgery, right? You're working on one ovary. Like let's say you have the manual dexterity because you know he's never ever sick at sea. He is a genius. He can twist with one hand and cut with the other. If you twist the other ovary, does it start to look necrotic immediately? You know, I don't know, but I, I, I wasn't as worried with that. I thought it was more because they did talk about it a little. There was like a little like medical jargony bit where they were like, oh, it's folded over. So it looks like uh, I just bought it like that. He did something that made it look to the naked eye like I, I'm not that one's not worrying me, at, at least not as much. Last one. I've got one for you. So in the showdown at the very end, she goes upstairs and she knows that the kid is in his bedroom because he's playing on his creepy, creepy keyboard. But if it's a dummy in there, how is the kid playing on his creepy, creepy keyboard? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I, I think I, maybe Bill Pullman's playing the creepy, creepy keyboard. <laughs> what? So, so he's playing the creepy, creepy keyboard. He, he's like, oh, 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 she's coming, and then he goes and hides behind the door. <laughs> Yes. But no, because the yes. keyboard's playing. The keyboard is playing while she's approaching with the plastic wrap to strangle the kid. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, yeah, no, it's it's nonsense. I don't know. Uh, I guess the keyboard could be non-diegetic sound. Now, here's the only thing I can think of, is that sometimes if you have a really nice keyboard, it has like a recording yeah. function. Yeah, you yeah, can yeah, Start yeah. playing and it records it. Okay, So sure, maybe... Sure. Bill Pullman had to be there to press play and then go hide behind the door. And that's why Bill Pullman was there. You wouldn't want to send a cop in there to do that. No, no, no. No, it's got to be Bill Pullman. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) I love this insane movie that takes a severe turn halfway through and becomes a completely different movie. Your thoughts? How how does it compare in your mind to Fant Forstick? (laughs) Oh, well, this isn't unpleasant, so... (laughs) <laughs> That's a big bonus for it. Like it right. is not an unpleasant experience to watch. You know, I I thought this movie was a blast. It's you know, if I'm talking about it, like if I'm if I'm talking about it as a movie, it's a mess. It is. It's bizarre. It's weighted weird. It's almost three thirty minute movies. It's because the whole third movie really is jam packed into the last half hour. There's way too much happening. I I I laughed. A couple of times, and one time was, you know, the kid, the the blind kid's cane. And I'm watching these movies in the privacy of my own home. They were just like... (laughs) I find it bizarre that you find it strange to laugh 
while you're alone. Like that's that's a kind of sh- shameful thing. Like it, unless someone else is there, you, you you wouldn't laugh otherwise. As we have discussed, I am a confusing human being, and it's never occurred to me until just now <laughs> that yes, that is a very strange statement. <laughs> you're embarrassed to laugh if no one's there. That's 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 nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, Barzier, any plugs? I guess private laughter. Mm, private laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it is good. Even if there's no one there to see you laugh, you can still laugh. It's okay. It's uh and we we want the listening audience to know it's okay to laugh. Yeah, I am I am pro private laughter as of today as of today you've been converted (laughs) times of pandemic we have to understand that self-laughter may be the only kind of laughter you have access to and so learn to safely laugh with yourself or 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 with a partner over the phone (laughs) no no that's weird that's weird (laughs) I'd like to laugh, but I need I need someone else there or else this won't feel justified. I better call up my friend. No, don't do that. Just laugh. <laughs> I would like to plug the album Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. David Bowie just celebrated its 40th birthday. That is a very good album. It's my favorite. It is my favorite David Bowie album. I guess it's time to bring it to a close. From two of the bungled to all our botched friends out there, we love you. Wait, is he? And, and that's also in Glengarry, right? I don't know. I think it might be. All right, I'm going to use Google. <laughs> <laughs>